I want to share with you a word out of um, Deuteronomy chapter 20. I believe, personally, it's a prophetic word from the word. You know, I appreciate those who give prophetic words. And they may or may not come to pass, and we've seen a lot of that. But when God speaks from his word, and it's a prophetic word, you can be certain it's going to happen. And in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, it says, when you go out to battle. Now think about that. Remember, it was in the spring of the year that kings went out to battle in the scripture. David, in that particular context, stayed home. He fell into sin. But it's in the spring of the year. We're in the spring of the year. The kings are going out to battle. And when you go out to battle against your enemies, and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you. And um, when I read that, I think about Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5, where he says, if you've run with the footmen and they've wearied you, what are you going to do when you run with the horsemen? And in the land of peace, if you've grown weary, what will you do in the flood plain of the Jordan? And we know that the, these are just warm-up days for what yet is to come. We're going to run with the, the horsemen. We're going to run in the days of, of great trial, great difficulty. But God is training us now to find that he's faithful in our battles. And so it goes on. He says, you know, here's what he tells us to do. Do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And Egypt for us is bondage to sin. And so it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel. And I believe God is trumpeting his voice right now to America. Hear, O America. Today you're on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not be afraid. Do not faint, do not tremble, or be terrified because of them. In other words, we don't want to focus more on them than we focus on Him. And if you, you could probably already bear witness, if your focus is on what the enemy is doing in this hour, there's a tendency to grow weary. But if your focus is on Him, it doesn't matter what them are doing. You know that God has a greater promise. And then verse 4 of that scripture. For the Lord your God is he who is, goes with you. That's number one. Number two, to fight for you against your enemies. And then number three, the Lord is your God who will save you. He goes with you. He will fight for you. And he will save you from your enemy. And that's a promise to us, I believe, in this hour. Now this week. I believe it was early Wednesday morning, you know, in that, that zone between, you know, waking up, you know, when you're sound asleep to before you fully awaken. This scripture kept going off in my mind, and it was a scripture that, you know, I'm familiar with, but I kept hearing it over and over again. It was that scripture from Ephesians, which speaks about the... the uh, you know, the glorious church that God is preparing, a glorious church in this hour. And I want you to look over there in that scripture because God is doing that. Out of all that's going on, we have to understand there's a greater purpose that God is doing, something that God is up to. And that scripture over, is over in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, and it's in the context of a husband's love for his wife. 
and, and most of us are familiar. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And now he's speaking about real marriage because he gives us that example. He confirms that down in verse 32. He says, for this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as, as, as himself and let the wife also show respect for her husband. So it's speaking of that which is going on in the natural, but there's a spiritual principle here. And just as a husband is to love his wife and give himself for his wife, so Christ loves the church and he gave himself for us. And it says in verse 26, the reason that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present himself, present her to himself. Now that's interesting. Jesus is actually presenting to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, you know, if the Lord is presenting to himself his bride, then he's going to present a bride that is truly glorious. Now, the word present means to, to have in a place of readiness, uh, at a place of disposal, or to dedicate, to devote, to consecrate, to place his bride beside himself. Now the word glorious, it means splendid, gorgeous, in unsold array without spot and blemish. And I remember the time when I lived in Texas, and I've shared with you, those that are part of this family, those were the days I was all alone, and I spent a lot of time praying for my wife. And I, you know, went into many arguments with God. You know, why have you left me all alone in this world? When are you going to send my, my bride? And this was one morning I was off praying just with the Lord. And I went off into that time of complaining, you know. And all of a sudden, it was, I was in this, it was foggy. And I was in the woods and I saw a vision of a bride coming through the fog. Now my immediate thought was, my immediate thought was, God, you're going to bring my bride. My bride is on the way. And then he interrupted me. And he said, as much as you want to be with your bride, it cannot even begin to compare how much I want to be with mine. And at that moment, you know, I repented and I said, God, forgive me for being so selfish. Lord, I want to spend the rest of my life bringing your bride to you because that is the, the passion of your heart. And, uh, but that word glorious, he wants a glorious bride. It means uh, unsold, splendid, gorgeous, without spot, without wrinkle, dedicated, devoted, at his disposal, prepared and ready for his purposes and ultimately prepared for himself. And I'm telling you, out of all that's going on in the world, and there are many examples. I mean, even the virus, it's gone from what we found out was a bioweapon to becoming a political weapon. It's become a political weapon. You can see that. But I'm telling you, in my own mind, all of this is going to backfire royally. God has a greater purpose in mind. There's something he's doing, 
And the ultimate purpose of what he's doing is preparing a bride for himself, a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle, and we can't lose sight of that. Now, I want, to, I want you to go with me, and I, I'm sure you, you have your Bibles with you in your home. You know, we can do this. You can open your Bible. You can sit at your table. You have a cup of coffee. But I want to share some things from the Word because I believe he's spoken to me. And there's something he wants to accomplish. There's something he wants to release. You know, we're not just preaching hot air. God, every time we preach, I believe God shows up. And there's something he wants to impart. And there's something he wants to impart this morning. Because we're going to need it. You know, we're going to have to put our big boy pants on. You're going to have to put your big girl pants on, whichever. But there are going to be challenges we know that are coming. But ultimately, we know that God is preparing a church, a, a bride for himself. But I want to show you something. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, I believe the, the price for the anointing has gone up. You know, the, the cost of, of discipleship. You know, there's been a lot of, a lot of easy believism in America. It's not going to be easy anymore. There's a great cost to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But it is, I'm telling you, it's, it is the greatest journey. It's the greatest reward. It's the greatest calling. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says, now, it happened as they journeyed on the road. Now, we're, the Christian life is a journey. It's not always, you know, a, you know, a, a pleasant, you know, all roses and tiptoeing through the tulips. There are a lot of, you know, if you've ever been on the mission field, you know not every road you travel on overseas is very comfortable. I mean, many of them are like, you wonder, when does the road start and when does the, you know, the pit in the middle of the road? I mean, that's all it is. It's just a constant, you know, up and down and sometimes that's the way it is with the Christian life, but, but we're heading. We're, we're going to an ultimate uh, destination. Now it happened as they journeyed that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And I wonder how many people have said that in America. They said, God, I will follow you wherever you go as long as where you're leading me is where I want to go. You know, it's, you know, Lord, please don't lead me to a deep, dark jungle you know, or, you know, to some location where I've got to, you know, suffer. You know, I, I, you know, I want to go where it's comfortable. I want to go where it's pleasant. I want to go where I choose, where, you know, there's going to be a great crowd of witnesses rooting me on. You know, I want to go where I'm accepted, <clears throat> you know, where I've got the best, you know, whatever equipment. You know, you can tell that person doesn't have a call from God. And then the next is not only the, the call to a country, but it's a call to a condition. And you know, how many of us would have signed up for, you know, following God, calling, you know, answering the call in 2020 in the midst of a pestilence? I remember when I surrendered to preach. It was that evening after that gathering in western North Carolina. And um, it was a public gathering, and, and I wanted to go be alone by myself. And some of you remember this story, but I went out onto the mountainside. I brought my Bible with me, 
and I had a candle and matches, and I, I don't know how I did this. It was January, probably very cold, but when you're 18 years ago, or 18 years old, you don't care how cold it is. And maybe we had, I don't know what was going on, but I, I laid the Bible on the ground. I got off by myself and lit the candle, and I knelt down by the Bible, and you know, I wanted it to be dramatic. I wanted it to be real. If God was calling me into the ministry, I wanted to be certain. I wanted to look back and make sure that, you know, I knew there were going to be rocky roads and times ahead that would challenge my calling. And I wanted to look back to something that I knew was real. So I knelt down and I read from the Bible and I said, God, I will follow you wherever you lead me. Lord, wherever you go, I don't care. God, I choose this night to be your disciple. I'm going to be a preacher of the gospel. Now, I was, that happened on a hillside right behind where Billy Graham lived, his home. And I never, I never knew all of that. But I'm telling you to this day, it's not about the conditions. If, if you're going to only serve him when everything is pleasant, you're not called to serve him, and it's going to be proven in this hour. And that's exactly what he says. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that some said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, that's, the Lord's already proven that's not exactly what you meant. And then verse 58, And Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That means two things. You follow him, you may not have a place, literally, to unpack. It was for a season that Shirley and I wondered, were we ever going to be able to unpack? That's what she told me all along, David. I'd like to unpack my suitcase. We, we'd go from place for a little while and stay there and then move on and stay there. And It's amazing when we got to Moravian Falls, somebody gave her a prophetic word. They knew nothing about what she'd shared with me. The prophetic word was, surely now you can unpack your suitcase. And anyway, she knew exactly what that meant. And, uh, but you may be where you may not even be able to lay your head but also the Lord's looking for a people that will accept him as their head. They don't have to make the decisions. You are the head. You are my master. You tell me where to go. You tell me how long to stay. You provide the, the circumstances. You raise up the people that you've called to be with me. I'm going to follow you regardless of the cost. And that's what he's saying. Verse 59, then he said to another, follow me. Then that disciple said, or actually a pretend-to-be disciple. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. In other words, it's a principle of first things. If you have to do something first before you seek the kingdom first, you're not following him first. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then in verse 61, and another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid my family farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said, no one, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what is he talking about? Fit speaks of being useful or at his disposal. And I believe that represents the church, the glorious church that he is preparing for this hour. I want to be a part of that. And I know that many of you want to be a part of that as well. 
And it goes back to that promise in Deuteronomy chapter 20. I'm the God that will be with you. And I'm the God that will fight for you. And I'm the God that will, will save you. Now for the remainder of this time, I want to go to Hebrews. And there's a scripture that, you know, we've touched on before. We didn't go into great detail. I want to go into a little bit more detail this morning. And then pray for an impartation. We're going to need... You know, let me just put it this way. Those that only had a profession of faith, they're going to be put to the test. But those who had a true, genuine faith, you're going to know the difference from those that just confessed it and those who walked it out. It's not going to be easy to be a believer in the United States of America from here on out. I wish I could tell you. We're all going to go back to normal. It's going to be peaceful. You know, there's, you know, those that are using this as a political weapon, they're all going to just begin to see the light. They're going to join our side. They're going to retreat and surrender. And instead of developing drones that will track you if you don't get the virus and all these things, they say they, it's they're, they're what they want to do. They're just going to join up and follow with you and support you preaching the gospel. I wish I could tell you that. But I would be lying. You know, there are going to be struggles. There are going to be challenges. And either you're going to overcome, as Revelation says, or you're going to be overcome. And I'm talking to all of us. I'm not just preaching to you. Either we will overcome or be overcome. Either we will be conquerors, or we will be conquered. It's, you know... There's not going to be a middle ground. I think I'm just going to play it safe, you know, and not surrender my all, and, you know, play it safe. There is no safe place. The only safe place is in the will of God. And in this hour, if you follow him, you know, it's going to, to be a real disciple is exactly what Jesus said. You have to take up your cross. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, and there's two things that we're going to need. And I want to read this over in um, verse 35. Then we'll go talk about it. It says, therefore. Now we will go back and look what it's there for. We always do that. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. If your confidence is in man, if your confidence is in government, if your confidence is in anything other than the Lord your God, and in who he said he is, and in knowing his name, because those who know his name will put their trust in him. If your confidence is in anything else other than in him, his word, his name, the blood, then you're going to find you're not going to be that confident in the days to come. So, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. And then the second thing, not only confidence, for you have need of endurance. We're going to need confidence, number two. We're going to need endurance. So that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Isn't that interesting? You, you receive the promise after you've done the will of God. And in order to do the will of God, you're going to have to remain confident, and you're going to have to endure all things. And we'll look at that even more, for you have need of endurance. Look in verse 37. For yet a little while... And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just 
shall live by faith. And this is how we're to live in this hour. But if anyone draws back, he said, my soul will have no pleasure in him. It's like those who put their hand to the plow and look back. They're not even fit for the kingdom of God. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So I want to look at this. We're going to pray for an impartation. You know, this past Wednesday night, we had a, this man, Greg Klecker, he was on with me. We're going to have another man on this Wednesday from Hong Kong, good friend, and I believe God's given him a word for this hour as well. He's one of those generals. Just like Stephen Francis, who's preaching Sunday. These are generals of the faith in this hour. And I, I want to hear what God is saying. But Greg, he's written or he's writing this book on the finishing or the finisher anointing. And I just really, that's captured my, my interest. I thought, God, you know, the work you began in us, you're going to finish it. And yet at the same time, we need this finishing anointing. There are many that will drop, all, drop off or drop out. And you even said that many will fall away from the faith. So we're going to need what it's going to take to finish our own race and to run the race with endurance. And that's what the Scripture says. We need two things. Number one, we need confidence. Now the word confidence means freedom in speaking or boldness in speech. It means that you've been given a license, or an authority, an assuredness, a certainty. That you know who is over all and who is in you. And your trust is in Him. You're leaning upon Him. As we said earlier, it's a very common phrase today. You know, if you, you watch much of what's going on or you listen, they open up. By in these uncertain times. Well, they're uncertain to you maybe, but they're not uncertain to me. Because we know what God says. Our confidence is is Him who finished this race. And that's part of what it means to be confident. And, um, And we come and we lean upon Him. I have a picture in my office at the church. I rarely even go in my office anymore. You know, they told us to stay at home. So I have an office at home, but I have an office at the church too, and I have this picture someone gave me years ago, and it's a picture of someone that's given a prophetic word. And the word is, behold, I give you authority to trample upon scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. And I I can't forget that verse, and, and that's what God gave us, you see, All authority was given unto him, but then he gave us that authority to be who we've been called to be and to do what he's called us to do. And you and I, we have that confidence living inside of us. We've been given the authority. So many people today are getting the word, we must know who we are. You know, We will begin to know who we are when we fully believe that He is who He said He is living inside of us. And when we're convinced of who He is, we can then be confident of who we are in Him. That's the key. And I believe that, you know, all the news has shattered a lot of people's confidence because 
You know, there's, there is a lot of bad news out there. And just, you know, our reminder is, you may hear some of the, the news of what's happening, but then always make sure you end your day on the, the good news of what God had said and what, who God is. I want to pray right now. Then we're going to go to the, the word endurance because we got to have this, but I want to pray for confidence, that God will give you confidence. There'll be some heavenly infusion of confidence because I know we're going to need it. You know, I hear some people, you know, they tend to believe things will go back soon as normal. Well, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. My confidence is not in whether they become normal. My confidence is in God who never changes. He never changes whether they're normal or abnormal. And uh, so, Lord, I pray right now for the people in the name of Jesus God, whatever authority you've given me, because I took that verse serious from the day that person gave me that, that portrait, that picture with that scripture on it. I took it as a prophetic word to me. But I pray right now for the authority that you've given me, the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. I pray for the confidence for your people to be confident in this hour that they will not be shaken. And what if we are shaken? We thank you we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And so thank you that we are citizens of another kingdom. And I pray that there would be a heavenly infusion of confidence in this hour. Lord, not confident that things might go back to normal, but confident in the one who never changes, whether it's normal or not. We thank you for that, Lord. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. And then the next thing that we're to be faithful for, he said, we must have in this hour, don't cast away, is your endurance. Don't cast away your endurance. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you know, you'll receive the promise. The word in, uh, endurance means the ability to bear up courageously, to wait to stay under, to remain, to have fortitude, to be cheerful, to have a hopeful constancy, even in the conditions that may be unfavorable. I remember when we lived in West Virginia, we had this, you wouldn't believe, we had this radio program that we would send out to some radio stations across the country I recorded those on these little cassette tapes. Some of you remember the cassette tapes. Others of you, you, what in the world is a cassette tape? And anyway, I had a room where I had a little microphone that I plugged into my cassette deck. And so I preached away in that little bitty microphone. And we would send them, I don't know, four or five different radio stations across America. And I, you know, always wondered, God, is anybody listening? Is, is anybody out there even listening? And from time to time, I would get some response. But we came to the end of when, you know, I had to sign the contract. And I was praying. I thought, God, maybe this was for a season. It's time to give it up. You know, God, I don't even know who's listening anyway. From my little bitty bedroom in West Virginia on these little cassette tapes, so, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is it time to 
give this aspect of the ministry up. And the scripture that came to my mind was out of Ecclesiastes that said this. It said, cast your bread upon the water. For after many days, you know, it will come back to you. And so I went to that scripture, and I I wanted to see a little bit more in detail what it said. And it said this in Ephesians chapter 11, verse 7. He that observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper. And so I took that as a thus saith the Lord. It may not look like much. It may look like you don't know if anybody's listening. But you continue to cast your bread upon the water. You continue to sow the word. Don't look at the clouds. Don't look at the rain. And I would just tell you in this hour, don't look at the storm clouds that are gathering. Don't look at the cupboards that are bare. When I go into Food Lion and I go into Walmart, you know, sometimes... You know, it looks pretty full. Other times, some of those shelves look a little empty. And you could get a little bit discouraged over that. My hope is in my provider, not in Walmart. It's in God that is greater than Walmart, and he's going to be faithful. So anyway, what are six things that you're to endure in this hour? And it's out of the Word. I don't know anything unless it's in the Word. You know, some people... They have all the answers. I only know what God says. And uh, I'm only going to believe what he said. But when I see what he said, that's enough for me. I'll go to the bank on it. And if I go to the bank and they've, I don't have anything to withdraw. I have something to withdraw from his word. And because I'm, I'm hiding his word in my heart. And I know that that's what you're doing as well. So what do we endure? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, back in verse 30. Six things, stay with me. I'm going to pray for an impartation. For we know him. Now that says a lot right there. You live in this hour. You don't know all that's going to happen. You can open your day. For I know him. You know, you can make it through the end of the day right there with that confession. For we know him. Who said? Now that is important. I know him. Number two, I know him who said. Really, number three is pretty good, too, if you think about it. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That tells me, I know him who said, I have the final word. No one on earth has the final word. Not the who, not the UN, not whoever it is. God, one day, is going to rise up with vengeance and judge his people. And then verse 31, it's the verse that many in the church don't even want to hear. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. But it is. When you fear God, you don't have to fear man. You don't have to fear anything else. And then verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, or after you were enlightened, after you, your eyes were open and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly why you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly why you became companions of those who were so treated. You know, 
If you wanted to suffer persecution, just hang out with the believers when you first got saved. Then the unbelievers would begin to ridicule you because you have a new set of friends. You know what I'm talking about. And he goes on. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted, now listen, the plundering of your goods or your possessions, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So what's he talking about there? We are to endure suffering and the loss of our possessions on the earth. What if you lose everything? Everything you work for. And all you have is your children and your wife. I think they, someone wrote a song about that. They may take your freedom. They may take, you know, your, the potatoes you're growing in your garden. I don't know whatever it is they take. But the scripture says that we have an enduring possession that we've laid up in heaven. And so whatever it is you lose in this life, you will not lose if you gain him in this life. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? And uh, likewise, you know, we're to lay up our treasures in heaven. On the earth, the moth will come in, rust, you know, can set in. But in heaven, we have an enduring possession. We have an inheritance that's undefiled, that does not fade away. And that's what I think we're to put our confidence in. It's not in what we lose in this life. It's what we're gaining in the life to come. Abraham waited for a city whose builder and maker was God. So number one, we endure suffering and the loss of possessions. Number two, look in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy. It's uh, an important scripture for this hour, 2 Timothy. And chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me, you know, commit to faithful men. Then verse 3, here's the key. You, therefore, must endure hardship. Now, wait a minute. They told me when I got saved... All my troubles were gone. That it would be smooth sailing from here on out. My friends, whoever told you that told you a lie. You see, before you get saved, you're no threat to hell. You're no threat to the powers of darkness. But the moment you get saved, you become a threat to the enemy. You, be, you might say, well, wouldn't it be better not even to get saved? No, that's definitely, listen, that doesn't, not, then you're a total in captivity to the enemy, and you're lost for all of eternity. So no, that's not the better way to go. The better way to go is to become a threat. But he says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, in this pandemic, we've heard the craziest stories. You know, the one story was about the cruise ships that, you know, were unable to dock. They were floating around out in the waters because they had numbers of people on board that had the, the tested positive for the coronavirus. And they wouldn't let them dock. 
Now, I haven't even heard anything about that in a long time. Maybe all the cruise ships have docked at this point. And, um, but anyway, you know, there's one ship that few people want to board in this hour. You know, you know what ship that is? It's the hardship. Because they'd rather avoid the hardships. But Jesus said, that's the one ship that his soldiers will board and they will not back away. He goes on in verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so we are to endure hardship. I got a picture when I was thinking about this earlier. I somehow miss the military. You know, my age, I miss Vietnam and, uh, you know, all of the desert storm and all these things. I miss that too. I was in the middle. To be honest with you, I would have loved to have been in the military. You know, at, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I, most, most guys that I know, man, that would have been awesome to be in the, you know. But, you know, some of you that were in the military, you'd say, well, you know, there's this image of being in the military that you think was awesome, but it can also be quite terrifying if you're on the front lines or maybe you're dropped behind the scenes, you know, behind the you know, the battle lines. And I, I had this vision of being a paratrooper when I was thinking about this message and what it would feel like if you were dropped behind enemy lines. It probably wouldn't be that, you know, exciting. I mean, maybe there's a, you know, a rush of adrenaline, but at the same time, it could be quite, quite terrifying. You're behind enemy lines everywhere you go. You don't know where the enemy is. You got to fight your way out of it. And then it dawned on me, wait a minute, why did God give me that brief vision? He gave it to me because that's where you and I are today. It's like, it's not like we have been dropped behind enemy lines. The enemy is all about us, all around us. And you know, and as I know, the enemy, you know, there's foreign and domestic enemies. There are more domestic enemies today threatening America than there are foreign enemies. The greatest threats to our freedom are within our own borders. They're occupying positions of leadership in, in Congress and in Senate. And they occupy great, you know, positions of great influence. They've got great financial backing. And so there we are. We're dropped in the, behind the lines. But I'm telling you, we can be confident because greater is he that's in us behind the enemy lines than he that's in the world. And then the next thing we're to endure is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. He goes on, he says, uh, you know, we're to endure hardship. The hardworking farmer must be the partakers of his crops. Verse 6, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding. He goes on. Verse 9, Paul says, For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. You know, you don't have to be an evildoer to suffer trouble. If you desire to live godly, you will suffer tribulation. That's what Paul is referring to. Even to the point of chains. But then he said, But the word of God will not be chained. And I tell you in this hour, whatever may come our way, The Word of God will not be chained. The Word of God will not be imprisoned. It will not be snuffed out. And even if some of us are, there will be others that will rise up. The Word of God is going to live and emerge and triumph. 
But then in verse 10 it says, Therefore, Paul said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Why? That they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. goes on. This is a faithful saying. For if we die with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And then he goes on. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. He cannot deny himself. You take all of that in context. If we deny him before men, he will deny us before his Father in heaven. And that's the context of that scripture. So what is he saying we're to endure? We endure all things. Why? For the sake of the elect. That they may come to salvation. If you and I drop out of the race at this critical time in history, there will be people that will miss heaven that would have inherited salvation if you and I had not quit. Now that's what that scripture says, that others may obtain salvation. Now you say, will God not raise up others if I drop out? I mean, yes, that's a, obviously God is a God. It's his will that none should perish, but all would come to repentance. So God is going to raise up others. You want to surrender your mantle? You want to give up what God's called you to do? You, I think you can give it up. I mean, obviously you can. But we've got to endure. The truth is, we must finish our race. In fact, I'm going to tell you, don't even begin the Christian life in this hour unless you plan on finishing it. Because we don't need any more dropouts. We've seen enough of westernized Christianity that if things don't go my way, I'll just throw in the towel. I believe the Lord is himself probably a little bit tired of that attitude. Listen, if you are his disciples, you may not even have anywhere to lay your head. So be it. You know, we take up our cross and we follow him. It's not what I gain in this life. It's what I lose in this life and what I gain in the life to come. I believe the cost of discipleship is going to be raised. It's always been raised. What had happened in America, we lowered it. I'll never forget one of the first visions that I ever had is I was at a conference and um, I, there was a cross up on the wall and I was out in the congregation and I looked at the cross and it was on fire. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty amazing vision to see the cross on fire. And then the second, it's like it went to scene two. It's like someone had come along and poured water on the cross and it was wet, dripping water. And then the third scene, it's like somebody came along and threw kerosene on it and a match and it was then it was like blazing, fiery, the blaze set ablaze. And I said, God, what does that mean? And he spoke to my heart. He said, the church was birthed with a fiery preaching of the cross. Then over the centuries, it began to be watered down. The message was watered down. The word. People did not want to pay the price, and so they watered it down. But he said, at the end of the age, 
I'm going to come along, I'm going to pour kerosene, and I'm telling you, the fiery preachers of the cross are going to be raised up again, and that message is going to be preached with fire, and it's going to spread all over the earth and set the entire earth ablaze because that is the message of the cross and what it was intended to do from the very beginning. And so we've got to endure the finisher. If you take up your cross, we must follow him. All the way to the end. And then the next thing, 2 Timothy chapter 4, what else are we to endure? You know, I'm amazed. Being called into the ministry, to me, has been an incredible journey. Because I look back from day one, and God began to speak to me from the Scriptures. Every place I've ever been, He would give me a word that was in season. Somehow, I fell into that belief that, you know, you're to preach as if you're preaching the oracles of God. So I believed it. I wasn't just there to tickle the ears of the listeners everywhere I've ever been. I felt like you preach as if your life depends on it. And uh, don't worry about your salary and all this. You know, I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, you know, with that. But it's just the way I've been. And now... I don't have anything to lose now. I'm almost at retirement age. I mean, I can even almost draw Social Security, so I'm not even worried. Although they'll probably run out of that stuff before I get there. But anyway, look what he says. But right before these days, the perilous pestilence, I I began to talk about that before this pandemic broke out. I was preaching out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And that verse kept coming back to me over and over again. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. I have a feeling the people of this church family may have gotten tired of hearing that. You know, what do you mean, perilous times? Well, guess what? The perilous times have come. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. And in verse 2 of chapter 4, he says, I charge you, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Don't retreat. Don't even worry about whether they'll endure. You know, don't worry about the itching ears. It says in verse 4, there, there will come a time they will turn their ears, turn away from the truth. Then verse 5, and this is what I wanted to get to, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, just this morning, I saw some things about enduring afflictions. Now, the word afflictions, you need to understand. You know, what does it mean to be afflicted, to be persecuted, to be tormented, you know, be rejected, to be resisted? These things are all a part of the Christian life. So how did Paul endure afflictions? Well, number one, he was a fighter. Because you look in verse 7, he said, I fought the good fight. So number one, be a fighter. We're in a good fight. And he's the one that fights our battles. We think we're fighting. God's fighting with us. So stay in the fight. Number two, be committed to be a finisher. He says, I have finished the race. So be committed. Be determined. There's no plan B in my life. I'm not going to surrender the call of God upon my life. I'm going to serve him, though none would follow me. No one else supports me, though when every, everybody else turns away. I'm a finisher. Be a finisher. Be a fighter. Be a finisher. 
and then be one that keeps the faith. That's what he said in verse 7. I have kept the faith. If you have some man-made faith, you probably won't make it in the days to come. If you have a God-made faith, you're going to find that he is faithful, that God's kind of faith resides in you, and you're going to make it. You're not going to drop out. You're not going to fall away. You're not going to give up. You're not going to throw in the towel. You're not going to get discouraged. You're not going to grow weary. You're not going to say, oh, it's too uncomfortable. You're going to embrace the cross and follow him. So fight the fight. Be a fighter. Be a finisher. Keep the faith. And then keep your vision on what is the finality of it all. Paul said in verse 8, Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not only to me, but all who loved his appearing. You see, what, the way we overcome is we know this is not all there is. There's more to come. And I'm living for that final day, that crown, that reward. And I know that God is going to be a judge He's going to settle the score. He's going to have the final word. And then the next thing, two more things we are to endure. James chapter 1. Very important scripture for this hour. I want you to make it. God wants you to make it. You're going to have to hide his word in your heart. The battles are more intense in this hour. How many of you noticed that? Well, so will the temptations be. So look at this. Verse 12. Of James chapter 1. Now, you could back up in this context, you know, my brethren, count it all joy. In fact, I believe it was Alex Arrington who reminded of this a few weeks ago. Count it all joy when you fall into these various trials. You know, don't go moan and groan and complain. Count it all joy. And that we could be worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ. Anyway, that's a whole different subject. But anyway, it just reminds me that knowing that the testing of your faith produces faith and produces perseverance and all of these things. But anyway, verse 12. i got to get back to the subject. Blessed is the man who endures what? Temptation. Endures temptation. Let me say that again endures. Blessed is the man who gives in to temptation. No. Blessed is the man or woman who endures temptation. The word is also trialed. A trial or temptation. For It doesn't stop there. For when he or she has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. How do you know you love him? You love him if you do what he says. That's how you know. It's not a confession of our mouth. It's the walk. It's the way we live our life. Doesn't mean we live without sin. If anyone says, I have no sin, makes him out, himself out to be a liar. When we sin, we confess, we run to him. But shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, may it never be. There's a greater one living in us that overcame not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. 
Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted just like us at all points, yet without sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Somebody needs to hear this right now. It says, no temptation shall overtake you except that is common to man. What does that mean? It means you think you're the only one going through what you're going through. That's not the case. There are so many people have faced exactly what you faced before. There are many facing it right now. You just don't know they're going through it. No temptation shall overtake you except that is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So many people, they say, God, I can't handle this. This is beyond my ability. You, that's not what God says. He says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And then here's the rest of it. But with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now that's what the word says. What is the way? He's the way. The way is the cross. You go by way of the cross. Jesus said, if any man comes after me, he denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the light. And so we must endure temptation. And the, the final thing that we want to mention this morning, and you know the scripture, because we've gone over this scripture probably more than any other scripture in these last number of months, Matthew chapter 24, I've been there so much because that's where we are right now. We're facing the possibility of famine. We're facing pestilence. We're facing persecution. We're facing betrayal. Do you know now that there are those who are recruiting so that if they see you not wearing a mask, they will hitch They'll tell, they'll snatch, snitch on you is what I mean. You know, they'll snitch on you. Or they may, you know, have a drone. There's some crazy things being, you know, suggested in this hour. We're living in the days of, you know, I thought about the governor who um, took away the right to go and purchase garden seeds in their state as a part of protecting their their people from the coronavirus by banning garden seeds. And you wonder, how in the world does that protect someone? No, it's the same spirit. Do you know before tyranny invaded Ukraine? Do you know that's a, it was the policies of the tyrants that actually kept them from eating that led to massive starvation of millions of people? When I heard about that policy of that governor, my thought was, well, she's just following the suit of that spirit that has been a tyrant throughout all of history that steals, kills, and destroys. And not only is the creator of famine, and that's what happened in the Ukraine, and many people don't even know. And, and anyway, that governor's just part of the same spirit. So in, a, in other words, Matthew chapter 24, all these things will come to pass. What are you and I to do? Sit in our homes and complain all day? Doesn't make any, it's not going to change a thing. 
won't change anything. I mean, even myself. I'm just telling you. I'm just being honest. I'm preaching to myself. There have been times I thought, God, can't we go back? You know, maybe just, just a little bit of normal. You know, maybe just a, maybe one baseball game, you know, something, Lord. You know, just a little bit of what it looked like. I'm just being honest. You know, because I want my kids to enjoy the life I've had. You know, I want them to, and they are. Don't you think God knew they would be alive in the year 2020 and what's ever to become? And even if this is just a dress rehearsal and everything goes back to normal for a few more years, I don't know, it could go back to normal. But anyway, at the end of, or not in the end, in the middle of Matthew chapter 24, it says, now you guys, part of this family, you've heard this verse many times, but I'm going to quote it again and again and again and again. It says this, But he that endures to the end shall be saved. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Now, I didn't say that. Do you know who said that? Jesus. Jesus said that, my friend. In other words, there's something that he put within us that will enable us to endure all things. There's something that he, he put within us that will enable us to endure suffering and the loss of possessions. There's something he put within us that will enable us to endure afflictions, hardships, and all the way until the end. I believe with all of my heart that God is going to show himself faithful. He that began a good work in us is going to prove his faithfulness to this generation like no other generation. If we're the last generation, or if we're the one just getting ready to pass the torch to those who are coming after us, so that they can run the race. I'm just telling you, these are the greatest days. You know, there's some things we're never going to forget. And I, I've shared this, but that dream that I had, it's been a couple years ago, but in that dream, it's like right now. It's right now. And in the dream, I was walking through this field, and somebody must need to hear this because it's, feel like I'm to share it again. I'm walking through this field with masses, massive number of people. Oh, there were, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people. And I'm walking through the middle of the field. And uh, there's a platform at the end. And I know, I just know somehow when I get to that platform, I've got to get up and I've got, I've got to have a word for all the masses number of people because they're wondering what the word of the Lord is for this hour. And i got to have something to say. So I'm walking through the crowd the whole time thinking, God, you got to tell me what to say. Lord, look at all the people. Look, at, look in their eyes. They're hopeless. God, give me something to say. Help me. Lord, what do I say? What do I say? I had no answers, which gives me a pretty good clue as to those who really will have the answers in this hour are not those who have all the answers. They will be those who confess they don't know what to do, but their eyes will be upon Him, and they will speak from Him 
They open their mouth wide. So anyway, I get up to the platform, I stand up, and I speak to the masses of people. And out of my mouth, in the dream, comes, this is not the greatest hour in the last decade. This is not the greatest time in the last century. This is not the greatest hour in your lifetime. This is the greatest, these are the greatest days in all of human history. And then I, the dream ended. And I'm just telling you, I cannot forget that dream. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what they tell us on NBC Nightly News and on CNN, the most trusted name in news. Can you believe they call themselves that? I don't care what they say. I'm going to believe that God has his people at the right place, at the right time. He's put in us all that we need to make it. And we're going to, we're going to see the glory of the Lord. I literally believe Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. You should read the book of Habakkuk sometime this week. you got plenty of time. Read what was going on on planet earth. Why in the world did God say that you will see the glory of the Lord fill the earth just like the waters cover the sea? He must have not known what was going on. No, he knew exactly what was going on. And he knows exactly what's going on today. Now I want to pray two prayers. First of all, we want to pray for those of you that somehow you, you, you connected with this broadcast, with this online gathering, and, and um, you will hear it later on YouTube or Facebook, on our website. You know, you never heard of the gathering in Moravian Falls. It doesn't matter. What we want you to do is remember that there's a God that loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was tempted at all points, yet without sin. But then he surrendered his life. The just died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. The cross is that which bridges the gap between lost humanity and a loving God. You might say, now how do I, how do I get to know this God? First of all, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. You've, you've heard God's word. You've heard me share with you that God loves you. And that God sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. He shed his blood that you might live. So what must you do now? Well, you put your faith in him. You confess that you've sinned. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And as we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that if we confess him, the Lord Jesus, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Repentance is required. What does that mean? It means you turn over. You turn your life over to him. You turn from your sin and you say, God, I choose to follow you. Forgive me. I make a choice from this day forward. I want to pray with you. And then I, you know, you got to mean it. The Holy Spirit has to be drawing you. And then I'm going to pray for the believers. Also, I want to include in this prayer for those of you that have fallen away in some way. You're not as close to him as you used to be. This is not an hour to be lukewarm. This is the hour to be on fire for God. Not to be 
losing the battle to temptation, but winning the war, knowing that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. It's not a time to be living in compromise. You don't want to regret it for all of eternity. You want to live free, knowing him that has set you free, knowing the truth. So I want to pray, and I just ask you to just to repeat this after me. And, and then this is going to be, I believe, your day of salvation. Just say, dear God, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. This day, I choose you. I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I turn my life over to you. I call upon you. I make you my Lord and my Savior. I believe that you died and that you rose from the dead. And I thank you for your promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So by faith I receive the gift of salvation. And from this day forward, I will follow you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the power of heaven. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me. For anyone, Lord, that is not as close to you as they ought to be. Lord, I pray that you would, right now, convict them and grant repentance. And let this be the first day of the rest of their life. God, I thank you for your power. Thank you for your love. And Lord, I just pray for any believer that's watching now. I pray, God, you'll fill them with faith, fill them with hope. I ask, God, not only for that anointing to be confident, but now I ask for a download of that grace, of that fragrance of heaven that will enable each of them to endure whatever may come their way. Lord, I thank you that you're the one that will be faithful and you will complete what you've started in every one of us. And I pray right now for a supernatural grace to trust you in this hour. Thank you, God, that you will show yourself strong to your people. And I thank you in Jesus' strong name. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer of salvation for the first time, write us and let us, you know, send us an email. Message us on Facebook. If you can email us, we, we have an email address. You can email um, at the Gathering Church Office at gmail.com. The Gathering Church Office at gmail.com. And just send us an email. We have a little booklet that uh, is entitled you know, what does it mean to really be a believer? And uh, we'll send that to you. It doesn't matter where you live. We'll help you find a church. Uh, you know, there's great churches all over the earth. And um, you might not can attend them in person right now, but you can connect with believers, you know, all over the earth. You know, I don't know how all this is going to end. I just know it's going to end gloriously. Because he's coming to, for a bride without spot and blemish. A glorious church. And that's where my confidence lies. And so we bless you. We love you. Be with us. Next Sunday, Dr. Stephen Francis is going to be preaching.
Then Wednesday night, our friend from Hong Kong is going to join. It's going to be a conversation type uh, thing with John Ward from Hong Kong. What an incredible day on the earth. I mean, you know, church is totally different. Thank God it's totally different. We've been waiting for an hour like this. So the rest of your day, enjoy your day. You know, go for a walk. That's what they tell us. Get in the sun. You know, get, soak up some vitamin D. If, it's not, if there's no sun where you live, you know, break out your umbrella. Get out. Go singing in the rain. Just be encouraged. Be encouraged, church. God bless you guys. Thank you, Lord.